Hey, welcome to the Remo Tlale Life and Faith Podcast, a long-form podcast designed to help you thrive in your life as well as in your faith. All right, uh, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of the podcast. I am so grateful that uh, you've taken time out of your day to listen, whether you are on your run or doing dishes or whatever you might be doing. Um, I would encourage you to not speed this one up. Uh, this is going to be a goodie. Uh, and today we are just super pumped. I'm pumped to have Dave Pockter on the podcast. Uh, Dave, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for being here. Yeah, it's my pleasure. It's so great to be here with you. Yeah, Thank you. Can you? Sure, absolutely. Can you give us a, a brief rundown of who uh, Dave Pockter is for people who maybe don't know who you wow. are? Wow. <laughs> a brief rundown on who I am. Well, I'm a 51-year-old man who loves uh, his family and uh, loves God and the church and the scriptures. And uh, yeah, I've spent my life just on a journey with my wife pursuing God's will for us. And it's led us to places all over the world, including being in South Africa with you for four years Mm-hmm. Uh, now it's got me on a different chapter of life and I do have to say, I just had my first granddaughter, which is part of now who I am. It's, yes. uh, awesome being a granddad. So yeah, oh, thanks. Wow. No, awesome. Great. Well, I think we'll dive into some of those, uh, some of those kind of attributes or descriptions of yourself there as we dive into today's conversation. Um, but what I did want to ask, as we as we just kind of set a bit of a background scene, is how long have you been a Christian for, Dave? I was baptized in 1990, so this is my 31st. It's coming up on my 31st year. Okay, and and bef- before you kind of exited the ministry, how much of how long were you in the ministry for the full time ministry? My, Beth and I were in the ministry for 26 years together. Wow. Uh, okay. We actually both went in the ministry as baby Christians um, sure. in 91, got married in 92, and spent 26 wonderful years serving full-time together. Okay, that is, oh, that's a 26 years, that's as old as I am, so that is a long time. Um, and, that's, and that's also, I think, you know, we, we love to hear people's stories, and we're kind of going to pick up in a specific, a specific point in your story, because uh, it kind of leads us to what we really want to talk about today. Um, so if you, could, if you could just fill us in on what was kind of happening, why were you, I think you were on a trip into East Africa, uh, and that kind of developed, began the, the story that would lead you towards pursuing a PhD. Can you kind of pick us up, uh, yeah, kind of pick up the story yeah. there for us? Yeah, well, that was in 2016, and we were having these conferences all over the world. We had a big one in the United States called Reach, and because of our relationship with West Africa and Africa as a whole, uh, we went to Ghana and did a conference there in, I think it was August of 2016. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it had just been a full run and gun kind of few years coming back from Africa, flying back and forth, uh, running mm-hmm. these training academies that I was in charge of. And then, um, honestly, what happened is coming back from Ghana – I remember sending a text to my wife saying something's not right with me Mm. and got off the plane and just felt like there was something kind of broken inside. Sure. And so it was a, 
it was it was a scary thing because I just had never felt that way. I'd never in my life struggled with depression or deep set anxiety and and I just I couldn't open my mail, look at my email, engage in phone calls. I just I needed to be alone. And uh, mm. you know, Mike and Amberjeet Tolliver, who led the church here at the time, uh, were just very gracious with me, and they said, "Why don't you just take some time off and try mm. to figure out what's going on with you?" Sure. So you know, it led to this whole kind of discovery of uh, mental health issues and being diagnosed with depression, being diagnosed with anxiety. I wasn't sleeping hardly, and. Mm. Uh, you know, and then, you know, all my friends joke about this one because they all knew me anyway. Also was diagnosed with ADHD and they're like, yeah, we all knew that. Um, <laughs> but, you, you know, within a matter of a couple months, I was just on a lot of different medications and trying to figure things out. And mm. at the same time, doing a lot of soul searching. Uh, what What's going on in my spiritual life? How did I end up here? Mm-hmm. And there was just a lot of questions for me about feeding my own spiritual well-being, how well I was taking care of myself. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, and I I think a lot of those kind of deep inquiries when you're really sitting there and thinking about your life in those moments, um, it -hmm. led me to uh, just kind of a discovery about who I am. And and for me, study, like the, the kind of that spiritual discipline of deep study is so much a part of who mm-hmm. I am and what I need. And, and honestly, that wasn't happening in my life the way I needed it to. And to your point, you know, you said what led you to pursuing a PhD. It's, it was just that discovery that I needed to do something really academically challenging to feed my soul. So sure. I started searching online for programs and it was one of those God things, you know, like, mm-hmm. uh, I want to study spiritual formation or spirituality or something to take me into this deeper space. And I get online, I'm searching for programs and realize that one of the top programs in North America was, was literally 12 miles from my house. Wow. So it just led to a series of, I mean, we could talk for, for days about the whole, how that unpacked, but it just, these God moments that just led me down this path to this pursuit of study. And okay. uh, spirituality. So. Sure. so so, when you're done with your PhD, that's what it will be in. It will be a PhD in spirituality. Is that correct? Yeah, it's actually called Christian Contemporary Spirituality. Um, okay. And each of those kind of components is, is important in that spirituality is a, is a discussion of how we use our spirit as a whole. And, you know, there's Buddhist spirituality okay. and and um, new age spirituality, all kinds of spiritualities. So the Christian mm-hmm. piece is important to kind of frame it in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. But okay. the contemporary part's important too. The study of spirituality does have a strong historical component to it. I mean, we study right. we study a lot of the spiritual masters all the way back yeah. to the early church. The contemporary part is what are the applications in today's cultural setting and why is this important in today's pluralistic world? And we address a lot of those concerns. Mm-hmm. Okay. I love that. I, and I think that's uh, literally the, the reason why I was like, man, I would love to have Dave Pucked on the podcast is that right there is this idea of, you know, spirituality, how we orient ourselves around God, how we use our spirit 
uh, but in a Christian context, and then more importantly, in a modern day, you know, contemporary context. And I think we'll we'll be able to kind of discuss that over the, the two episodes that, that we're coming into. Uh, but I do want to go back to kind of that, that moment of, you know, man, wrestle and reflection and depression, as, as you said, you know, uh, in that time. Uh, and I, I want to talk about something called the dark night of the soul. Um, and I wanted to hear from you. Would you say that was a dark night of the soul time for you personally? And if it was, could you describe what it felt like? Wow. Okay. Well, you just unpacked a lot right there. Um, <laughs> that's great. You know, so part of what's so interesting about this is in the moment, not mm-hmm. understanding spiritual darkness, um, uh, all I had to turn to was Western medicine in the moment, right? Okay. And, and I think going to see a doctor and being diagnosed with depression and anxiety at the time was my outlet. It's what I knew. Okay. So I feel grateful for that, by the way. I think, mm-hmm. you know, I, I've come to really respect people who struggle with mental health and understand the darkness that comes with that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think in hindsight now, thinking about now what I've studied and learned I think there was more going on than just mental health issues. Okay. So I really have come to believe that the way that we are made, or created by God, uh, all these components of our anthropology, our humanness, work mm-hmm. together, right? Our, our mental health and our spiritual health and our soul's health, our intellectual health, there's a lot of connection to it. So it's really hard to separate those out, even though we, we tend to do that. So I do think that the depression I was struggling with at its core in my case, now this is not everyone's case, but in my case had a deeply spiritual root in it, which is what John of the cross calls the dark night of the soul. Um, so, Mm -hmm. so I think it's just important. I I don't want to discount real mental health that that really does tie back to chemical imbalances in people's life and i think that's a very important thing to look at and diagnose and treat in my case even though i found help and solace in being treated for depression i had to get to the root of the issue which was more of a spiritual issue in my case that was affecting my mental health if that makes sense so yeah now you know and you throwing out the the concept of the dark night it's it's a really it's a concept I think people are coming back in touch with that was written a lot about in the 16th century by mm-hmm. this uh, really important theologian and mystic John of the Cross. He was a a discalced Carmelite, um, which meant he lived in a life of prayer and meditation and fellowship, and and ended up doing a lot of work writing a lot about what he would actually distinguish is two kinds of dark nights of the soul. So okay. in, in kind of short answer, <laughs> this is the short version, right? Sure. This, in short answer, when I look back, I was definitely in a period of darkness in my spiritual life that was transformative um, that I do now look at as an episode of darkness of the soul whether it's specifically mm-hmm. what John of the Cross would call the dark night or a dark night sure. or part of the dark night journey. Um, yes, it was definitely 
rooted in a spiritual darkness for me. Mm, okay. And I, I appreciate your distinction there, especially with the mental health uh, issues, because we don't, I definitely don't want to be that guy either um, who kind of discounts that because that is a real struggle. So I appreciate, I appreciate you going there. Um, but maybe, maybe let's, let's go from this angle then. Uh, what is, you said John of the Cross has kind of two dark nights of the soul. And, and maybe context as to why I ask is because this, as you said, I think people are starting to get involved with it. People are starting to talk to it. People are starting to mm. say it's happening with them. Uh, and it's like, man, the little bit I know, <laughs> it sounds a lot deeper than, man, I had a couple of bad days, you know. Right. So so I, I just want to be able to kind of unpack what does it look like and, and then maybe hopefully talk through the journey of how we get on the other side of it. Um, but but what is, yeah, what would you say those two definitions are that John of the Cross gave? So John of the Cross looks at the spiritual life as a journey. And he frames it into these kind of different stages that we go through. And he starts off his description of what happens in a person's spiritual life in what he would call first fervor. First fervor is this idea that we're very familiar with in, you know, kind of our fellowship of churches, which is this when you kind of get converted into Christ you go through this really exciting phase, this kind of honeymoon period, right? Yeah. Everything is awesome. (laughs) The Bible's amazing. It just, it speaks to your soul. Um, You want to save everyone else on the planet and help them see what you see. You can't Mm. help but keep yourself excited. And, And, you know, with that, and this is what leads to this first, what he would call the night of the senses, is what he would call this first period of the dark night of the soul that that almost everybody ends up having to go through. And that is this idea that when we're in that honeymoon period, when we're in first fervor, we also develop this really strong spiritual pride, Hmm. this kind of self-elevated view of who we are. We all of a sudden are Bible experts. (laughs) You know, we're all of a sudden have all the answers. We... We, you know, it's so that, that, you know, he calls it spiritual pride. It's this idea of this kind of self-inflated view. And, and it's funny how it plays out. I mean, it, it feeds off insecurity and jealousy. You know, we, we start comparing ourselves with other young Christians and who's growing faster and who's a better disciple. And we get envious of people that are growing that we think are growing faster than us and, so that whole yeah. kind of world that happens is what John would say has to be rooted out of us for us to mature. Okay. So we go through this period, and I think most of us can reflect back and remember, oh yeah, where we lose the honeymoon, right? Yeah. We lose the first fervor. And it's painful, right? Mm. So one thing that's really important to understand about John of the Cross and the Dark Knight, whether it's the first night or the second night, is that it's God working in us. Mm-hmm. It's not our work. Okay. And I, I think that's a really important distinction. You know, we tend to be very what we would call active spiritually instead mm-hmm. of passive spiritually. We want to do. We want to fix. We want to solve. I just need to read my Bible more. I just need to pray more. I just need to share my faith more. Absolutely. And there's a you know there's an important place with that. But the truth is, the work God is doing in us is arguably more important than what we're doing in ourselves. 
And so that's what John's addressing in the Dark Nights. So in the first night, what he's really addressing is God um, rooting out that spiritual pride, bringing you back down to reality, helping you realize that this is a, you know, a struggle, dealing with your character, dealing with your life. Um, there's a lot of work to be done in our inner life. And so God has to kind of tear down that spiritual pride to get to that, right? Okay. So that first night, you know, uh, mm -hmm. night in quotes, it's not about a, a night. A night yeah. is a spiritual communication of a period of time when you don't feel, and this is what why it's the night of the senses, we don't feel necessarily close to God. We don't hmm. feel like we're doing well spiritually. God is stripping the the things that are kind of that tactile, excited part of our spiritual life and kind of stripping us down to who we really are. Okay. And that's the kind of purpose of the, that first night, that first dark night. So okay. I would argue that, you know, and John would argue that almost every Christian has to go through that after their yes. kind of initial honeymoon period. And, and, and generally, how long would you say that further period lasts? Is there a general, does, does John speak to how long it might last? And, and, and then even the, the, the night period, how long does that last? Uh, it's a roughly? really good question. Um, I, I think in our, our modern way of thinking about these things is very different than the way they would think about them 500 years ago. Sure. And it's important to remember that John was primarily speaking to other monastics, other mm -hmm. nuns and priests and monks. Okay. These are people who have kind of left the, the world and come into a life of prayer. And so the way that these things play out for them would be a little bit different than it would for us. But he doesn't get into that. Now, what he does talk about is that that first dark night isn't a long period of time the way that the second dark night can be a really long period of time. Okay. So there, he does distinguish between that. I, so, but he doesn't give kind of time periods. I think just from being in the ministry for a long time and working with a lot of, a lot of young Christians, whether they were teens or campus or young adults, you know, you kind of start seeing patterns, right? Most yeah. of us, six to twelve months, the first six to twelve months, maybe even up to two years of our becoming a Christian, we're all kind of living in that, the church is awesome, everything's awesome period, yes. and then. You know, it, and I think it affects different people different ways, and it depends on their maturity and their experience. But, you know, really in that, whether it's six months, 12 months, two years, you start going into this more, wow, this is a lot harder than I thought. Sure. And that can take a few years, you know, to just kind of work out, like mm. finding your feet, incorporating this kind of, what does it really mean to live an integrated Christian life? And that yeah. transition Right where we're moving into this, I've left the world. I'm coming now into the Christian life. That transition and incorporation of denying self and following Jesus, mm -hmm. you know, it takes a good five to ten years to kind of make that just a normal part of who you are. Sure. Okay. So, so what I'm hearing for the for the young person again, majority of the people who listen to this podcast, uh, I think the bulk, probably eighty percent of the podcast listeners are, are under the age of thirty five. Um, is is man if you became a christian you know probably your first let's say up to two years is going to be just this time of epicness and then you would say potentially up to 10 years could be the dark night the dark night number one meaning the sensory 
you know, kind of God stripping away the pride. Uh, it could be that long. Yeah, you know, it's it's just really hard to to give those to give kind of years. Um, okay. And I think it just affects us all so differently. So I think maybe a more practical way of thinking about it is looking at marriage, mm-hmm. right? When somebody gets married, they go through the same process. Yeah. You fall in love. You, you know, the person you're in love with can do no wrong. Everything's awesome. Mm-hmm. As you just said, it's epicness. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's just like being sure. married, honeymoon period. It's amazing. And then you go through this kind of weirdly critical – wait – she really bothers me. Uh, this is annoying. Why didn't I see this before? Yeah, sure. And it, and it, but it's not like it's you're just in it now. You're just mm-hmm. in this kind of irritated space for two or five years. It's not like that. Yeah. You have moments where it's like that, and then you kind of recover and you enjoy each other. And it's it's almost like a change of seasons. Mm, so okay. if you come out of winter, and it's just cold, and then you get a warm day, and it's more sunny. And then it's not for a while, and then you get a couple more warm days. So there's this yes. kind of back and forth thing until you really come into summer. Okay. So I, I think it's healthier to look at these phases as seasons of our spiritual development. I like that. And they come and go just like most things do in development. Yes. Okay. And so so maybe, you know, again, because we're dealing with predominantly the group that would potentially be going through this first dark night. Um what are some ways that, that, that you would say, you know, keep, keep at it? How, how does one say, okay, man, this mm. is getting hard. This is, it's pressing up against me. I can feel that there's just, ah, uh, there's just, it's not, it's not pretty anymore. It is. There's a, some, there's been warm days. <laughs> right. I've been loving the warm days, but there's some cold t- nights here uh, between yeah. God and I. Uh, how would you say, okay, keep going? And I know you've already kind of touched on it because we do like the active, like, what do I do? Right. Uh, but maybe if, 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 even if it is like, Hey, actually be passive in, in certain spaces, you know, help us out. How do we kind of journey through that? It's such a great question. You know, I think one of the biggest things for us is accepting the normalcy of it. Hmm. This is going to happen, right? You can't avoid that. Okay. There's, there's a lot of people that, you know, they just want to live in the honeymoon period. Now, for anyone who's been married for more than 10 years, you go, okay, the honeymoon's great, but Lord help us. I, I don't want to live there, right? <laughs> I, want, I, want my, I want my marriage to mature into a true integrated oneness, a true partnership. Mm. I mean, Beth and I are celebrating here 29, yeah, 29 years uh, wow. this month, actually. I wouldn't go back to my honeymoon period if you paid me. I just, I love what we have now. So what does that mean? I mean, you specifically asked, how do we engage this? I think number one, we have to accept this is part of the plan. This is part of God maturing us and it's good and it's okay. I think with that, we got to talk about it. A lot of times young Christians are afraid to admit they're what we would call uh, aridity, that aridness, the dryness in their spiritual life. Mm. And I just, I'm having a hard time reading my Bible. I'm having a hard time praying. I don't, I don't feel the things I used to feel. And because we get afraid of talking about those things, if we bury them, they just seem to take more of a root in us. Yeah. So 
talking's important. Being open about the struggle's important. Recognizing that it's normal is important. And the church should be the place where it's healthy to struggle. Yeah. Right? So that's that's huge. I think that's that's important. Um, so one, accept it. Two, recognize God's work okay. in us. Um, and And just think about the fact that God's Spirit is shaping us. A lot of times we don't like to think about suffering or trials or difficulties as spiritual. There, there is nothing more spiritual than suffering and trials. You look mm-hmm. at the life of Jesus, the death of Jesus, the conversations about Jesus in the New Testament, particularly in the book of Hebrews. It is through suffering that he learned obedience. It's through suffering that we become spiritual. Yes. So that's important. Now, there are some active things that John says are important in that first night. Okay. We continue to go to the cross, deny ourselves, and follow Jesus. That idea of constantly thinking about Jesus, bringing your life to Jesus, imitating Jesus, that kind of discipline of mm-hmm. repetition. John would say is really important. I think with that, that's that's really important, is reading your Bible, reading your Bible, reading your Bible, and praying. And arguably, I would say in the first season here, the Gospels are so critical. Okay. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Sure. Just the life of Jesus, the ministry of Jesus, the incarnation of Jesus, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus – that that building that into your life is just super important in this stage. Yeah. You're founding, you're building your foundation of your spiritual life that you're going to be living on forever. It's like learning arithmetic. Okay. You've got to get your basic maths down, right? Yeah. Before you can move on to geometry, trigonometry, calculus, and, you know, Einstein's physics. You, you, you can't do any of that without a great base of arithmetic and that's that's our spiritual life that those are those important years uh, Matthew five, yeah. Ma, what's Matthew 7 says build the house on the rock you're building yeah. the rock during those those years okay 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 so I, I there's a couple things said that I just want to underline them because you know sometimes people can miss them For, thing number one is we need to accept that it's it's this is natural it happens okay there's got to be the season of kind of dryness and we need to be okay with that. Uh, secondly, we need to speak to people. We need to go out and, and communicate with one another. Uh, thirdly, and I'm kind of mixing your points and John of the Cross's points, but we need to go. We need to daily and consistently go back to the cross, deny ourselves, and pick it up and walk. Like it, it's everyday decisions to be a disciple, to be a Christian. Uh, and then, and then, fourthly, uh, at the end there, you said we just got to keep reading the scriptures. We got to keep praying. It's like we just got to keep having quiet times. Don't give up on them because they don't feel good. Like you've just got to keep keep nudging away at it. Um, so I hope people are hearing that because I think that's super. That's super helpful like that's actually practical things that i can do Uh, and then lastly he said acknowledge the work that god is doing so acknowledge that the spirit is actually shaping and forming us that this suffering this hard time it's actually molding and shaping us and i'm thinking of people in my life that i'm like man i hope they're going to listen to this episode because i'm like this is so good for us (laughs) for us as in we need to have the conversation around man i'm suffering and i get it now i get it like this is shaping and forming me um, the other question I had on this on the dark night, and we can start to kind of transcend to the, to the next one, is 
Is this generally when young Christians or people who have been in the faith for a relatively short period of time begin to ask the deeper questions? Is this generally when, you know, for, for especially campus age or teenage age people, the question marks around uh, justice for Black Lives Matter, for example, or the LGBTQI conversation? Or is that what generally happens as well? Because things are drier, I start to question, is this real? How does this all function in, in society? Is that a fair assumption? It's a really great, that's a really great question. Um, and I, I would even distinguish people who grow up in the church, right? Kids that grow up in the church. Yeah. They have a maturity about them because of their exposure to the spiritual life and the scriptures. That's often uh, ahead of someone who kind of converts in their young adult life. Okay. Right. And they end up coming into some of these more critical questions uh, even earlier, right? Mm -hmm. In some cases. I mean, I think we see that. So, so yeah, you know, it's difficult about the social issues that we're facing around the world. There's a lot of complexities to these. Um, one is that most of the awareness that is happening in all the issues you just mentioned, whether it's gender identity or racial, racial issues or any other social issues, social justice issues, it's important to remember that these are rooted in Christianity. Addressing these issues comes out of a Christian ethos that is arguably because of Christianity's presence on this earth has elevated these concerns. And we see that the influence of, when I say the church, I mean the, the global universal historical influence of Christianity, the church, yeah. has brought these things to bear in ways that the way we, we respect and engage other human beings comes directly because of this kind of Christian framework. Um, we don't always equate that, right? We give, we give society or culture a lot of credit for things that ultimately came out of the church. And that's a whole nother conversation for another day that we could trace historically, but that's not the point. Um, yeah. To your point, this idea of young people engaging this, first of all, they should be proud of the fact that it, this is Jesus Christ who brought these issues to our attention, and he gives us the tools to address. Second, without Jesus Christ, we will never ultimately solve these problems. The temptation mm -hmm. as a young person, especially if you're not deeply theologically rooted, is that we tend to overreact on either side of these issues. Hmm. So giving you an example, if, if we come, if we become indignant about oppression, right? Any kind of injustice, yes, we feel justified, right? Because we're supposed to free those who are oppressed, but that's not the whole gospel. The whole gospel says, yes, free the oppressed, but also yes, love and show grace and mercy to the oppressor. Hmm. So when we're not rooted, so, so I'm, I'm saying all this to that young audience that you're talking about, because if we're not rooted in the Christian ethic and we do start going through difficult spiritual times and we jump on the bandwagon of social justice issues without keeping ourselves rooted in the Christian way of treating this, yes. we tend to swing to extremes believing we're standing for rightness. Well, yeah, we may be standing for part of rightness, but not the whole gospel of rightness, mm. which is to solve the whole systemic problem by how we treat everybody. 
Wow. If that makes sense. So yeah, you're right. In those dark times, we do tend to start questioning and thinking intelligently about these really important issues that where Christianity and culture intersect and how society functions as a result of or lack of Christ in it. And we start wrestling with those things. But my point would be that if we don't stay rooted we don't keep that foundation in Christ, we're actually going to get untethered and unbalanced in even how we engage these important social issues. Yes, sure. Uh, yeah, that's that's profound because I do think um, the overreactions are happening and and I'm seeing them and obviously I, I'm in the ministry so I, sometimes people come to me and it's like, man, you know, learning how to navigate both sides and, and I think you put it so well in that it's it's making sure we have the whole gospel present in each of these conversations and that we present the whole gospel and that we ourselves as one for me as a minister and a leader in these spaces i need to be deep theologically but then we need to help to train and encourage and equip people to be deep theologically so that they can uh, you know wrestle with these things that way okay so let's let's move then to the second dark night uh, and and what what is that one called so that would be the night of the spirit the reason there's a difference here for okay. the way that John would think about the soul, the soul would have two parts. You'd have the, the part of the soul that is the senses and the part of the soul that would be the spirit. Now, we don't think about things the way that 16th century discalced Carmelites did. Um, sure. But it was a way for him to frame this struggle. So the, the, the sense part of the soul is the more outward, tactile you know, um, outward even aspects of how we spiritually behave that we were just talking about, like that kind of spiritual pride. Yes. The, the night of the spirit is the deeper kind of sense of who you are as a spiritual being, and that's being shaped in the second dark night. So that's how he okay. would distinguish the night of okay. the senses and the night of the spirit. Okay. Okay. And so, so now we now we're getting we've gotten rid of the fluff, the the external stuff, the, like you say in his definition, the sensory tactile stuff. Uh, so then, who like, if we talk about the spirit, who are people? What what are we at our base? Is that a fair question? I, I don't even know if that makes sense. But if that's the thing that's being shaped in this dark night, is there an answer to who is at that really that base core of us as human beings? Well, I think in John's framework, the answer to that would be in our core basic, you know, core sense of being, we are a spiritual being. Okay. And that spiritual being has other elements to it, right? Mm -hmm. um, which he would identify as our intellect, our will, and our memory. That's how he viewed anthropology. Okay. Uh, so anthropology is kind of the view. How do we view the human being? Yeah. How would we break down the sense of the human being? And this goes all the way back to Augustine. I mean, Augustine through the scholastics up through John of the Cross would yeah. always kind of break down the human being in the sense of intellect, will, and memory. Okay. And so that sense of being, that holistic person, has to be transformed into what God would want that being to become. This is really mm -hmm. what the second dark night's about. Yeah. The second dark night... So where the first dark night, almost everybody's going to go through that, right? Everybody mm -hmm. goes through first fervor and they lose first fervor and they get their pride knocked down and they 
have to kind of struggle to lay the foundation. Um, on the other side of this, the second Dark Knight, he would argue that very few people actually get there. They get oh, okay. that experience it, go through it, see the other side of it, um, because there's a complexity to this later stage in life and what's actually happening in us, mm -hmm. right? So, can I explain just a little bit of what this night looks like? And Please. So, so if if we think about our our anthropology, our humanness, in these ideas of intellect, will, and memory, we would maybe say what intellect is kind of what's going on in your head, how you structure your thought world, right? Your your knowledge. Will is our heart, how okay. we choose to emotionally engage the world. Uh, and memory is more like personality. We would call personality, right? Okay. Um, just kind of who you are as a person. So what the second night is about is this idea that we can't live by conceptual knowledge to move into the late stage of spirituality. It has to be transformed into true faith. So the concept okay. is to strip away our securities of how we engage the world into the true spiritual sense of what we're to become. So we can understand this in saying, you know, what, what real faith is. To live by faith means that you aren't living by your understanding. Things don't always make sense. Okay. We make choices to live by faith throughout our life. Yeah. But how does God get us to the point where he strips away our understanding to the point where we live in faith all the time. Wow. Okay. So that's really the process of that second night. It's a stripping down of our securities that bind us or hold us in this world to a place of absolute union with the divine in such a way that we live completely faithfully. So yeah. as you can imagine, I mean, how many people actually get there, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's that's why he argues that there's very few people that make it through this. Now, God is working on stripping that away. So one one very practical way we we see this all the time in our in our churches is if you consider the difference between belief and faith. Mm -hmm. Our beliefs are kind of our doctrinal how we make sense of our theology. What do yeah. we believe about baptism? What do we believe about women's roles? What do we believe about, you know, fill in the blank? Yeah. It's it's our kind of systematic belief system. Now, as we grow up and mature, we realize these issues are really complex. And a lot of times when people push on them and question them, we don't have answers. Mm -hmm. And living in that tension of mystery, that paradox of I need to have an understanding but I don't understand there's a there's sure. a sense of mystery here that moves us that's what what John is arguing moves us from conceptual knowledge to true faith is being able to let go of my faith is not dependent on my beliefs I can surrender my life to God whether it makes sense or not yes okay. but it requires a deeper faith a more rooted decades of practice of faith for me to trust and surrender to God when things don't make sense to me mm -hmm. it, it it takes it's a lifetime of spiritual work that's yeah. John's point so yeah. similar to faith right that transition from intellect to faith or head conceptual knowledge to faith 
the other things that are happening in this is we're moving from our sense of willfulness, which is this kind of we give love because we want love back, that possessive kind of love, yes. to true charity, true agape love, which is completely selfless love. Wow. And then the third component in the anthropology, when he talks about memory or personality, mm. is our temptation in life to control and, and have security yeah. and to allow God to strip what gives us that control and security and live truly in hope. So the goal is to move from our anthropological rootings, right, our intellect, mm -hmm. our willfulness, our personality or memory or control of life, to true faith, true love, and true hope. Become a oh. spiritual being in every sense of the word. Wow. Right? <laughs> that I'm like... I'm like, secretly, that's exciting. I'm, <laughs> I don't know. I'm like, that would be epic. Like, I don't want to, I don't, you know, God, hear me out, man. Like, I don't know about <laughs> going through the whole process. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but like the, the different, the description of being able to move to a place where those things are true of me. That to me sounds like I have, like, that's like you have become like Christ. And that's the whole goal of this thing. Um, so that sounds super exciting, but I, you know, I, I can imagine how scary that is, um, because, you know, that that you know, yeah, that stuff is that's intense, that's deep stuff, that's deep work, as as you know, as as you'd say. So let's, I mean, you just brought up a, the the critical point here. Why is it mm -hmm. called the dark night? What does it really take to get there? Yeah, it is so painful. Sure. The work God has to do in us. The suffering we have to endure, the disorientation, the disconnect, the stripping down that happens is yeah. is just so painful. And you know, people in this stage that that live here, and and this is this goes on for years, on and off for years of our life. <laughs> that stripping down, and I want to circle back to where we started this conversation here, but that stripping down is so frightening because you feel darkness. Yeah. You feel darkness. Um, wow. And, and it's so scary. So, you know, you asked me as we started this, what's, what began as this kind of spiritual crisis in my own life at 47 years old, um, when I, I had no motivation, no connection, no sense of, of orientation, I felt dislodged, disconnected, depressed, anxious, I now look back and see God was moving me through this period that was completely reshaping me, recalibrating me, stripping away things I had put my faith and trust. I mean, I, I was in the ministry 26 years. It's all I knew. Um, it's, it was comfortable. It was, I was good at what I was doing. Yeah. And God just strips all that away. And you start going, wait a minute, where, where's my faith? Where's my, where is my hope? How am I? thinking about this and it, it forces you by removing these things from you yeah. it forces you into this place where you're having to recalibrate why you do what you do who you do it for right now yeah. and i'm not saying that was just i expect that there will be many stages in my life where that continues to happen many more darknesses right yes. in my formation so i think that's really important and maybe you know because we're talking about this i think i want to read just the two stanzas. So John of the Cross is Dark Night of the Soul is actually a poem. Okay. 
And it's a longer poem, but everything's built around two stanzas. And maybe as we're kind of talking about this, this will kind of give some poetic light to this sure. conversation. So here's how John explains the dark night experience, whether it's the first or the second. He says, one dark night, fired with love's urgent longings, ah, the sheer grace. I went out unseen, my house being now all stilled in darkness and secure by the secret ladder disguised ah the sheer grace in darkness and concealment my house being now all stilled so for john this dark night is resting in the hand of god mm. secure and I love how, you know, even that fired with love's urgent longings, it's this, I have this spiritual passion to serve God, this deep desire, this eros bursting out of me to want to do good. And I rest secure in this darkness because it's God's grace that holds me here, right? Wow. And so I love, you know, even that the concept, the secret ladder, it's like there's, there is this mystical wisdom, this spiritual wisdom it's attainable in that darkness that we can't get anywhere else. Mm. And, you know, even where he ends that second stanza, my house being now all stilled, that there is this sense of peace, even though we're in this darkness, because we trust God's work in our life. So. Wow. I mean, at this point, I'm like, we, that, that's a pretty good first part. And <laughs> it's like, it's like that is, and I, I'm so grateful that you had on hand the the poem. Um, that's that's yeah, that's beautiful. Um, and I I think that the 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 desire that I'm that is kind of growing in me is like man, then this dark night of the soul, as hard as it may be, this is the journey one wants to go on. But I, but I want to go back to something that you said earlier on, as you were describing these three changes, right, to true love, to true faith. Uh, and to true hope, is you said these happen bit by bit throughout life, right? As we make the decisions, but then they can be the season for you. It was at forty-seven years old for a couple of moments, for a couple of months, what have you. There was deep, tr like a, a genuinely deep, deep darkness uh, that, and that was stripping away this ministry. You're the ministry. Uh, this is what I know how to do. Um, and so what I'm what I'm hearing you say, and and you can correct me if I'm wrong, is that once you get through the first the first dark night and you kind of get into a place where you're now living day to day over time, over time, God is going to continually keep coming back and trying to get into the, the spirit and stripping away that spirit side of you so that you can be led to true faith, to true hope and to true love. Uh, if, if I'm understanding you correctly, uh, the, the question that I have on that is then, okay, so then how do I journey through that? If that if that's what's coming next, how do I then journey safely and healthily? Like like John ends with the, the, his house is at peace. How, how do I journey through that? It's a great question. Yeah. So John John talks about this long period in between these nights. It's called proficiency. Okay. It's the years of practice. It's building that foundation. It's stabilizing your spiritual life. And and the truth is, I mean, you know, let's let's take a, a common scenario. You become a Christian as a teenager, late teen and early twenties, you have your honeymoon period. You go through a couple of years where 
God's rooting out that spiritual pride. And then from your mid-20s on, you're building proficiency. Okay. Your life is about giving in this period of time. You're giving to God. You're giving to your church community. You're giving to your career. You're giving to your family. And we're young and we're energetic and we've, we're laying that foundation. And it's just year after year after year of pouring yourself out, right? That's John's, that's John's concept of proficiency. We're building proficiency in our spiritual life. And once we kind of get to this stage where we've raised the kids, we've built a, a reputation in our career, we've, we know who we are spiritually, we've spent decades, you know, living this life, we start then moving. And this is why, you know, we hit this kind of spiritual midlife crisis and beyond, right? Mm -hmm. And I see this happen a lot with people when they start getting into their late 40s, early 50s, sometimes even in their 60s, you start hitting these walls, and I think that's kind of the beginning of this process, right, of that wow. second dark night. So that's a really great question. I think it's important to remember between these that there is this long period of decades of proficiency, mm. right, in there mm. where we're just – we're doing it. We're living it. We're, we're actively mm. engaged in the spiritual life, and then we come into this new period. So that's important. The other thing I think that's important is the reason why John believes that we go through this dark night – and then we have this long period of proficiency and come back into a dark night is the first dark night should give us hope about the second. We've hmm. seen God refine us for short hmm. periods of time for kind of more outward kind of behaviors and spiritual things so that when we get into this really deep dark, because I mean, the truth is if as a young Christian, you went through some of the painfulness of that second dark night, most of sure. us wouldn't stick around. Yes. Yeah. But after experiencing, hey, I've been through tough times. I've been through dark moments. I've been disconnected with God. I've been in the desert. I've been in the wilderness. But then I saw light again. You get more con confidence, right, in yourself that I can yeah. do this. I can do this, even though it's completely disorienting. But to the point you made earlier, without talking about this and recognizing the okayness of this, with yeah. each other and saying, this is normal. Yes, you're going to go through this. Yes, doubt is normal. Yes, question things. Yes, it, feel disconnected with God. You have to go through that, and we got to tell each other, it's okay. It's normal. Mm. Wow. All right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask us to pause it there. I think that is a, 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 good, a good first part because I think – uh, the years of proficiency is probably what we'll dive into as we talk, talk about this idea of uh, spirituality and being able to define what that is and all the spheres of life that are involved in it and how that relates to spiritual formation and spiritual disciplines and, and all of that kind of stuff. So I think uh, I'm hoping that, you know, people have learned to tell. I know I have. Uh, that's super helpful for my journey right now, but for the people around me. Uh, and I'm going to ask us to pause here, Dave, and then we'll, we'll dive back into part two uh, next time. That sounds great. Thank you. Thank you for listening. For more thought-provoking conversations, subscribe to the Rima Klale Life and Faith Podcast. Please like, review, and share so that we can continue to help others thrive in their life as well as in their faith.